Hello and welcome to the first ever Under a Gaslit Lamp podcast. Um, we're going to delve into Jack Grealish and the way he's been playing of late, whether he's making enough of a difference to be considered an Aston Villa icon. And later in the podcast, we're going to be looking at comparing him to Gabriel Abonglahor and seeing how their careers have panned out. Obviously, Abonglahor is a bit older than uh, than Jack Grealish, but it'll be interesting to compare the early era of Abonglahor to how Jack's playing now. I'm Regan Foy, and I am joined by Mark Jarobe. Introduce yourself, bud. Hello, uh, yeah, Mark. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Some people probably listen to this already have at Villa Mark PGH. Hope everyone's well. Yeah. So Jack's come back into the fray. Uh, three games, two goals. He's uh, he's certainly announced himself back onto the championship scene after uh, thirteen games out. I think it was. Yeah, it's pretty impressive stuff. Uh, just it's crazy to see, you know, everyone talks about, you know, being a one club man and everything. And, you know, just, I don't know, the influence there, there's definitely something there. It's the entire club, the entire fan base has been lifted. It seems it's three and a half weeks ago, you look at some of the stuff that was written about Aston Villa, it's just, it's absolutely the opposite direction now. Yeah, it is It is quite funny to see, like, obviously a lot of people were sat there thinking, we are we are a one, a one-man side. Um but then you obviously had had the other half shouting that you know we were we, we were good enough to play without Jack, but just something wasn't clicking. Um, but obviously, when when we played Derby and it was Jack's first game back, it was it was immense to see how different every single player on the pitch was playing. Yeah, it was kind of storybook. I mean, just if if you actually just the arena of sport in itself, just how sports work and how how things actually go down with various amounts of different sports, you don't really see that too often. Um, with one player just coming in, and it was the it it, it seemed I only watched it on, on the television. It seemed like Villa Park just changed. Everything changed. The atmosphere changed. The look on the supporters changed. The way the players walked out even looked different with, you know, Jack, you know, coming out and everything. It's just, that's that's movie kind of stuff. That's that's not something you see in everyday life. It was very interesting to see. Yeah, I think, I think for me, like, obviously the, the build-up was, was quite mixed. Um, so obviously the social media thing was, was all Jack's back, Jack's back consistently throughout the week. And obviously a few people were... We're getting quite annoyed at, at, at how much it was preying on you know. Like, what's to say? Like the last day of training, before the big game, um, he wasn't going to like pull up and and have to miss the game. You know, it, it was risky for the club to do. But um, you know, everyone was thinking who who should be the new captain. Obviously, uh, Tommy Elphick had injured himself in the game beforehand. Was it? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was Tommy. Yeah, and I was I was a big proponent of making Tommy yeah. the captain. I, I I thought that he was. I you know read an article about it, you know under a gaslit lamp and everything. That I I really thought that him coming back and the way he was performing, you know, in a couple games, it wasn't the best performances, but you know to have that experience, you know, on the pitch and whatnot. I I really thought it was going to be him, and then you know, unluckily enough, he goes down through injury. Yeah, because it was. I think the, the game before that was Stoke, wasn't it? And uh, Hutton, yeah, yeah. Hutton went off injured then. Um, so, yeah, you wrote an article pushing for Tommy to be named uh, as captain. And obviously, you know, uh, Dean Smith alluded to that after the after the derby game. He said there's a, there's a lot of leadership quality 
in in the starting eleven. And um, we've seen that when Jack gets subbed off, he, he hands the uh, the armband to Tyrone Mings. And uh, Dean Smith said, you know, we've got some, some real leaders in the side, but it was just something about making Jack the captain. And obviously, obviously like, everyone in the stands is going to be sitting there um, on their phone before the game starts, and they're going to be scrolling through Twitter, and it's going to be, captain. you know, they're announcing Captain Jack, you know, he's going to lead his boiled, boiled club. Uh, out onto the the hallowed turf of Villa Park, and uh, yeah, I think everyone everyone was quite lifted by that, just because you know he's a he's a homegrown lad. He loves the club, and you know it, it, that that showed on the pitch. It obviously meant a lot to him. Yeah, I think in almost oh wow, twelve years supporting the Villa, I've never seen Villa Twitter so happy as when that team sheet gets announced and the C is next to Jack's name. Yeah. Never, I've I've never I've never seen I've never seen everybody just just so happy and elated and the jubilation just it, it came off of your screen. It, 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 it's just hard to explain. Like if you didn't get excited for that moment as an Aston Villa fan, you might want to go get your pulse checked, you know, just to make sure just to make sure that you're okay. Like that was a big defining moment. I, I know it's one player, and you can have the argument all you want. It really comes down to the fact that at the entire atmosphere that surrounded the club changed with with just that C next to his name. It's just so storybook. I, I absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, like, it's uh, another article you wrote uh, after the game. Obviously, uh, Villa ran out 4-0 victors against Derby in that game. Um, but you, you wrote an article after it about how, how it was almost like a, an Oscar-winning film to see uh, to see him, you know, captain his side to a 4-0 victory and score an absolute worldie uh, as, as he went about it. Yeah, it was it was the whole thing. Like you know, I uh, I say in the article, if anyone wants to look it up, um, Glenn Whelan just trotting over to the the corner flag and you know has a swing at it. And yeah, I, I even thought to myself, he's going to overhit this. And Glenn Whelan has the ability to overhit corners whenever he takes them. But and then it's just dropping and dropping and the ball just drops and drops. And you're just looking at it like, there's no way. Who's that falling to? And there's Jack right in top bins and absolutely elation. I I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, but um, <coughs> excuse me. So in in his last three games, um, you know, he seems to have had quite a big impact. Um, obviously, uh, a major impact in the uh, second city derby. Um, probably more so for what happened to him than what he did on the pitch. Um, obviously, it made national and international news. It was obviously on the news in a uh, in America. Uh, yeah, that was that was very crazy to get a bunch of texts from people that know I follow Villa. You know, until the until the day that I die, and they're like, "Oh, Villa's on the local news," and I'm like, "Really? It made it all the way over here? Like, and it, it wasn't just one station; it was all the stations, and like they all were covering the fact that someone attacked Grealish on the on the pitch." And then, then my job is being an American football supporter to say, "Well, it's, that's not every game. That doesn't happen. That's nothing to be, you know, that's the common misconception of English football or just football in general from Americans." So it was like telling them, like, no, this isn't supposed to happen. This isn't right. Everybody knows it's not right. But it was still a really cool moment that everybody that knows that I follow close to me goes, oh, yeah, you guys finally made the TV. And I was like, yeah, I wish it wasn't for that reason, but that's okay. <laughs> but yeah, like, um, the, the, the one thing that's been running through my mind with that, um, that, that happening is that it's, he's already a big name in football. You know, uh, he's widely considered to be, the best, or if not one of the best uh, players in the championship, but that you know, he, 
you, you're going to have like 60 year old grandmothers sitting there and watching the news and going, oh, this Jack Grealish has just been, just been, just been punched or you know attempted to have been punched by a, a Birmingham City fan, um, and that's you know regardless of who's watching or who's seeing or who's hearing about it, that's just going to make his name and his appeal bigger, and you know the the, the fact that. The vast majority of people that reported it obviously went for the fairy tale story of him scoring after that, and that's just going to increase how many people know about him and how many people are eventually going to be interested in come the summer or January or whenever it is. It just made me feel like you know if that had happened to like you know Glenn Whelan who's coming to the end of his career, um, it would have been you know it would have been the same story, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be worried like. Okay, you know, Spurs might be watching this, or Chelsea might be watching this, or Liverpool might be watching this, and seeing that you know he's he's reacted in such a way, and you know as captain, and then he's gone on to score the winning goal. I feel like it's it's brought more attention to him than than perhaps Villa actually want. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think a lot of things that really when it comes to that, and people are asking me why why did why did this guy get on the field and punch Jack Grealish. And then if you really think about it, you know, that's just only bringing more attention to him. Because obviously the guy got on the pitch knowing that Jack Grealish is a good player. He is a talented player. He is have, you know, he has promise. He's going to have a good career. Whether it's at Villa or not, he will have a long and very, very fruitful career as long as he can keep his injuries in check. But that, you know, that's explaining it to somebody is, no, he's really good. And some, you know, moron decided to jump out on the pitch and try to hurt him in an attempt to maybe help out his club you know, in this specific game. So it does bring a light on it. And you're right, a lot of people weren't really talking about the fact that, you know, of of the why. Yeah, everyone has a village idiot. You've heard it from all the pundits, the former players, you know, analysts, you know, know, local fans, everybody. You've heard all, all, but like, you actually dig into like, he's that good that someone wants to run onto a pitch and actually hurt him. Just thinking about that. that. That's, that's insane. That's how good he is, and you're right. He, he does open it up to the, the spotlight of coming from a Liverpool or a Tottenham, or even you know a, a team that's in the Prem that maybe you know has some cash to splash that might want to come in for a bid on him. And it, it it really begs the question of you know it you know we all know Jack's good. Villa fans know how good he is, but this kind of thing, this kind of situation, it shined the light on just you know on a, on a international landscape, not just an English landscape. Yeah. Um, he. Was a bit quieter against Nottingham. Move, moving swiftly on, I think you know the the, the punch has been dis- discussed probably enough over the last uh, week. So, right. Um, well, it's not even been a week; it's been four days. Um, right. But yeah, moving swiftly on. Uh, Nottingham Forest. He he was. A, I wouldn't say he was subdued, but he was a bit quieter in the in the his impact on the game. Um, I think you know he opened up space for everyone as he, as he usually does, but I think. I think probably Hurrahan and McGinn both had uh, probably stronger showings than Jack against Forrest. Obviously, Mi- yeah, I would, yeah, I would say so too. I, I think I think Jack, um, it, it, uh, he almost looked as if he he was expecting to get like hacked down again, like all game. It was weird. it was almost like he was still in the Birmingham City mindset, and I, I don't know, a little softer touches on the ball. Some of his first touches weren't great. Um, he, he's still. You got to think he's just coming back. You know, he hasn't played that much football. He still hasn't played a full 90 minutes. 
So it's one of those things where you know let's let's see how he does in, in the next next couple of games here. I, I still think he's incredible and I, he's going to do well. I think regardless. But that, yeah, it didn't have much of an impact in the uh, in the forest fixture for sure. Yeah, I mean the the good thing about Jack is that even if he's not having an impact with the ball, um, you know, if he's not scoring or assisting, he, he even even just like him making a run can open up space for someone else, or or he'll get tackled and will win a free kick in a dangerous position. And I think that's what a lot of fans of other clubs in the championship don't realise, because obviously you see on social media. Um, Oh, Jack Grealish doesn't score goals. He doesn't assist goals. Look at this. Obviously, he scored uh, twice in in his last three games. But you know they're saying like you know uh, Hernandez at Leeds is is a better player because he can score goals or whatever. But it, it's the impact he has without scoring goals or assisting goals. And it's also the like Courtney. Uh, I don't know whether it's pronounced horse or house, but. Um, Courtney said in his interview with the club that he's like the the glue that holds the dressing room together, and I think that's visible now he's back on the pitch, like more so than ever. Yeah, he he has to be. I mean, he, like again, you just see what what he's brought in, you know, to the team and what what he actually brings as far as just his inclusion. Um, you know, you talk about you know, yeah, he had a you know Grealish had extended time off, but his last ten games he's had four goals, three assists, and three man of the match performances. So you really look at something like that is, and the, it, it's it's pretty it's a pretty amazing feat in ten games to have those kind of numbers in general. But my favorite thing about Jack, one of my favorite things rather, is his movement off the ball. And I don't think a lot of people really pay attention to much of that. I mean, you know, there's only one ball on the pitch. You usually when you're watching, you're usually watching the ball. But if you actually take a moment to watch Jack Grealish when the ball is nowhere near him, and he's still getting marked, he still has people looking at him. And whether that be through knowing that, you know, at any point in time he can change the course of the game or whether it's just them knowing that, you know, you got to make sure where this guy's at. You don't really see that with a lot of other players, especially in the championship. You know, you talk about Hernandez at Leeds. He's kind of the same kind of case where you always have to know where he's on the pitch at all times. He can, he can burn you very, very quickly if you're not paying attention. And Jack, you know, over the past you know year or so has started to do the same thing. He's getting a lot of attention even when the ball is nowhere near him. And I think that's a true testament to how he is as a player. Yeah, and you know you're saying like you know he's always always like you know pulling a man with him, but you know often often it's two men, and especially against uh, against teams like you know Derby or Middlesbrough or you know the, the teams that you expect to be a bit more of a challenge, they they seem to commit two men to to Jack whenever they can, and obviously that pulls then then you know like pulls out the uh, the left back or the right back. And allow someone like Green or El Mahamadi or Taylor or El Ghazi to kind of push on and have more space on the wings, um, and it gives it gives the wide men the space to perform a bit more. And they, you know they'll either cut in or they'll they'll get a ball into the box for you know the the uh, the uh, opposite winger or Tammy Abraham or Kaja to get on the end of. Yeah, that's one thing I noticed since he's been back. Uh, you know, Grealish when he does find space on the flanks. In the final third, um, he's getting double teamed, and it's usually by the fullback or a midfielder, which is allowing whichever wingers Villa has on their wings to actually start these kind of tiki taka overlap underlap plays. And I'm sure that's something they work on in general in training, or at least it looks like it over the past three or four games now. But when Jack gets pushed into that position where he's off the you know off the flank a little bit, and he's you know he obviously knows he has a fullback with him, then maybe a midfielder, be it Corhane or McGinn, that you know cuts on the inside on the underlap. It's working. 
And that might, I don't know if that's something, you know, that they're necessarily looking to do, but if they're in that position, it seems like they have, they have trained really, really well tactically to understand that, hey, we can get this ball, we can get service into the box. And I don't think you really have seen that with Villa in the absence of Jack. There was no one that was really going to, you know, once they get pushed into a certain portion of the field, to be able to have, you know, the guile, to have the trickery, or even just, you know, to get where they need to be to try and, you know, get a ball into the box or, you know, put it outside the area and, have, you know, have someone take a shot. Yeah, and I think, like, whilst he's also, you know, creating space for other people on the pitch, like, a lot of the time, you know, he, he's the man with the ball. Um, he, he tracks back into his own half so often to pick the ball up from Mings or Taylor or, you know, whoever's at the back playing him the ball. Um, and, I mean, the vast majority of the time, he'll he'll run into the opposition half and then spray a pass out and it'll usually find its man. I think he's got something like 87% passing success rate this season. Um, and obviously, like compared to other players, you know that they might have slightly lower or slightly higher, depending on how many games they've played. Um, but you know that that's no mean feat. I think uh, I think Hurahan's passing success rate is probably the second best in the side from what I can remember. Um, obviously, given his uh, his games to pass ratio. Uh, you know, you, you could probably consider that Tyrone Mings might have a better pass percentage, but he's played in what four games. Um, but yeah, like he he will he will usually get a pass off, and if he doesn't, then he's usually fouled. Um, in the last three games that that we've played, he's been fouled thirteen times, um, and you know, more often than not, those uh, those fouls are coming from just outside the opposition box, and it lets. Horahan, you know, have a shot on goal, or it lets us get a ball into the box, or you know, the, even even lets us try something from the training ground. You know, they attempted something from uh, the training ground against Nottingham, and it didn't pay off. But you know, it, it it's nice to see us like you know trying stuff like that rather than just you know chancing that Horahan might get it into the back of the net. Yeah, I think it it speaks a lot to Dean Smith and his and the coaching staff's preparation. Um, didn't didn't ever really look like we had a plan on corners under Steve Bruce. Maybe like they would try to do you know something like I don't know kind of schoolboy stuff, a little bit of trickery, you know, short corner here and there. But it never really seemed like they worked on actual like set plays from corners. Maybe free cooks maybe a little bit more, but it, it never seems to so through corners. It, it's it's nice to see them actually starting to get to that point. Um, as far as you know, Jack being fouled and. You, you look at him, and some of them aren't nice fouls. You know, I'd, I'd be curious to see the numbers on how many yellow cards he's drawn since coming down to the championship. You know, I, there there's some hard crunching tackles that's happening to Jack, and that's you know people you know were a little upset when he's missing time for his shin, and then all of a sudden the, the media starts to blow up. Is he going to leave in January? Is he not? But man, I I couldn't imagine taking some of them tackles that Jack takes. I know he has a reputation to dive, but really, really watch him. You know, and it, it just—it seems like he's getting kicked about a lot. You know, and that's—you know—for what he's playing right now. You know, it's—I'm—I'm I'm just glad that he's working through that. You know, you see him on the ground, but then he just springs back up. And I, I don't think there's a lot of people that with Jack's physique that are going to get kicked like that all game and be able to just spring back up time after time after time. Yeah, I think like I—I I, I don't think he—he he does dive. To be fair, like I think I've probably seen him dive maybe twice. Um, in in the last couple of seasons, um, but he, you know he, he does take some 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 horrible challenges. Um, you know uh, Clifton Beld, 
in the first couple of minutes of the second city derby, like absolutely crunching tackle. Uh, obviously, it came out today in the news that um, both clubs will be receiving some kind of punishment from the FA for failing to control their players after that tackle. There was a bit of a you know a bit of a kerfuffle. Um, but you know, there's he's had so many awful challenges on him. Um, I can't remember the name of the player, but it was the Fulham player who stamped on him in the playoff final last season. Um, I think he he went on to to join West Ham, I believe. Yeah, I can't remember the name of that player, but I remember that he stamped on him. And I, I the only thing I really remember from that exchange is the look of, on Jack's face when the foot actually comes down on him, and like it's actual yeah. pain. Like it, it was, it was actually painful. And I, as far as the whole Grealish diving thing, I think when he was a little younger, and it looked like he would dive a lot, but I really think it's because he wasn't grown yet. He, you, you look at pictures of Jack now, and you look at pictures of Jack even three years ago. He doesn't look like he has the same physique. Now, obviously, he's working his ass off in the gym. And he's starting to build a little bit more strength. But when he was younger, even when we were in the prem, you know, Tim Sherwood was throwing him off the left and saying, "Hey, kid, just go out there and have some fun." He was still getting bossed around. There, there was no two ways about it. Now he's got a little bit of muscle mass to him, and he's still getting hacked down. It's just, it's shocking to see sometimes the, the, the Clefton Bell tackle. I, I still can't believe that wasn't a red, but we'll, we'll let that one go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I fully agree. Like, you know, you look at pictures of him from when he, he was in his. Uh... In Twit QuickBooks, uh, Villa Kit, and he he was right. so he was so skinny, um, you know he didn't really have much about him. You know, he was still he was still bossing some games. I mean, look at the the Liverpool game in the uh, was it the semi final of the FA Cup. Um, you know he right. ran he ran the show then, but um, I think nowadays you know he's he he is a lot stronger, um, and that's a testament to the the kind of uh, fitness staff at, at Villa. Um, he came back after that uh, kidney injury that he sustained against Watford in pre-season last season, um, and he looked he looked huge. I remember the, they released the first pictures, and everyone was like, "Jesus, the man looks wham!" Um, and like I, you know, I think he's been doing that again with, with his injury. Um, I don't know the name of the guy, but he was friends with Jack, and they they trained together at like youth level. And he didn't make it as a player, so he that you know the club kept him on, and he uh, he's now he's now a fitness coach, and he's been working with Jack throughout this rehabilitation, and you know he looks he looks bigger than he did last season, if that's even possible. You know I don't think he can get much bigger because I don't think his frame will let him, but he's riding challenges a lot more now. You know uh, before when people would be like on his back trying to stop him from running with the ball, he he would just fall. But now he's he's moving so much further and getting that much closer to the opposition penalty box before he's actually flattened, and that's doing nothing yeah. but help the way that we're playing. One thing I've noticed about him as well, in regards to the strength and whatnot, he's getting a lot of calls from referees to play on when he is getting fouled. Yeah. And previously, he would kind of just go down, you know, and not not in a dive kind of way. I don't think it's any kind of simulation. I just think that's it's the hunger, you know. I really do think the kidney injury of last year, like it, it made everything click in his head of, hey, you don't have a lot of time here to be messing about. Let's let's you know let's get serious here. Like your career could have been ended. You know, it was a laceration of the kidney. You know, there's people that had the same exact injury that have lesser kind of healthcare in the world that die from that kind of thing. You know, so I think that he was probably you know well informed about how severe the injury was and how grim it could actually been. And I think you're seeing it now. It's just, you know, I, I do think the shin 
is a little bit of a setback for him. Um, I think that's going to go into well, well in his career where he's going to have problems with that due to the fact that he just doesn't wear adult size shin pads for one reason or another. Um, but you know, that's that, that that's how he wants to play. That's how he wants to play. But I, I do think the kidney injury really, really made him wake up, and it goes through the whole maturation process of you know him being a young Villa kid coming up having. You know, issues, having drug issues, you know, that everyone remembers the picture. No one wants to talk about it, but everyone remembers that picture of him passed out. And, you know, it's it's a long ways from that now. He's, he's finally becoming the, the player, the person, the leader, the captain that we, we've always needed at Aston Villa. <clears throat> yeah, so, like, you've just mentioned that he, he, he was, you know, he's, he's matured over the last couple of seasons. He went from that kid that... You know, was was spotted passed out on the floor on a holiday, to this you know this captain who you know he, sh- he showed against Nottingham Forest that so, uh, Pele was up in his face, and he just kind of told him to back off. And you know, I think, and I mean, like not even that, like the the Blues game, I think like if that was Jack of of uh, 2015, 2016, Jack could have been straight up and like throwing punches himself. Um. Yeah, I think we both know Pele didn't say anything very nice to him. I think that uh, <laughs> I think the, the exchange was you, you could read the lips on that one. I I I thought that was gonna you know get to the point of of a little bit of a you know issue. They went on for a couple yeah. minutes, you know, during the Forest game. I was I was watching it like, oh, don't do nothing stupid, Jack. The entire world's watching you right now, man. <laughs> yeah, but I think Jack didn't mince his words either. I'm not gonna repeat what he said, but it it wasn't very nice. Obviously, it wasn't. No, yeah, they 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 both were talking about some some things you did. Uh, you know, you wouldn't hear in a church. Wouldn't yeah. say that. But um, you know, he he is the kind of the model professional nowadays. You know, he's. You know, you you still see posts on his Instagram where he's uh you know out with Callum Robinson of a former Villa player plays for Preston now, um or he's out with James Madison, uh, Leicester City's midfielder, but you know everyone's allowed to go and let their hair down. But it it it's good that he's he's mature on the pitch. He can still have fun off the pitch, but we're not getting these these stories of him like up at five a.m. with uh Cotches and Noss in a hotel room or you know passed out on the floor, and you know, th- th- this is where we wanted to bring in the co- the kind of Gabriel Abonglahor thing, because Gabby started his career so so well at Villa. Um, the two thousand and six seven season, he played thirty eight games, scored nine goals, and then the three seasons after that, he scored eleven goals, eleven goals, and thirteen goals. Um, these are all in the Premier League. He may have scored more or less in... Uh, well, he couldn't have scored less, but he might have scored more in the League Cup or FA Cup. Um, but like, he, Gabby went from strength to strength to strength to strength to then like, the biggest downfall. Um, because unlike Jack, he didn't have all these issues at the start of his career. They came in the mid and the end of his career. I know there was a, a news article... Probably like midway through his career, maybe two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, um, which would make sense because he he scored thirteen goals in the two thousand and nine ten season, and then three the season after. So it wouldn't surprise me if these new stories came out that season. Um, but it was something to do with his issues with his his family life, I think. Um, something about either his girlfriend or his wife or his mom or something like that. Um, and then he went on to. The season we got relegated, we pictured in Dubai with uh, Mika Richards um, smoking a shisha pipe and then later spotted with Hippie Crack. 
And this had come after the Jack Grealish incident, so he should have known better. And at this time, I think he was like 30, 31. Um, he was the captain, which I think that was stripped from him. Uh, you know. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was stripped of the captaincy. I do remember that. You know, it it it, it doesn't make sense for. A, it's a bit like Julian Lescott tweeting a picture of his car after we've been, just been battered by Liverpool. Like it, it, it's almost like an anti anti growth. You know, they 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 have three or four seasons where they're like absolutely outstanding for the club, and then you know we keep them on, and they they they've turned to you know absolute mush and they're you know they're they're bringing the club into disrepute almost yeah and you know the the thing about Grealish and Gabby with you know Grealish gets you know the infamous picture taken and then it seems shortly after I believe you know Gabby's in Dubai doing whatever Gabby was doing in Dubai and you have to kind of think was Jack picking this up after Gabby like I mean you, you see how much he looks up to him and you see how much he respects them, and they're still to this day they're, they're chummy even on social media. And I'm sure they're you know they talk out you know outside of the realm of social media, but it makes you think of like was that was it, was that just a bad habit or a bad personality trait of Igbonghoy that Jack picked up on and was like oh well you know that that's one of my heroes over there and he's doing that kind of stuff so I guess that's okay you know maybe he was just that young and naive to do something like that I don't think that was talked a lot you know at the time. But, you know, looking back on it now, you know, you look at Obama Hoare's career and now you look at Grealish's career and they're almost polar opposites. They're completely almost flipped, you know, around. The yeah. Jack had all this going on towards the beginning of his career, you know, where Gabby was on the flip side. You know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, Gabby wasn't happy that, you know, he gave his all to a club and, you know, now, you know, they got relegated to the championship. But by that time, he was starting to become out of shape, didn't have the legs under himself anymore. I think there's a lot of factors that could have been about, you know, Gabby's performances, you know, as far as, you know, Jack and, you know, the drugs thing, you have to wonder if there's a little bit, you know, a little bit of Gabby rubbing off on him. I, I think it's only fair, you know, with how much he looks up to him. Yeah, because, you know, the season we did go down, there was, and the season afterwards, there was always that talk of, you know, the, the bad eggs in the dressing room. Um And, you know, you always kind of thought, oh, yeah, it's Mika Richards or it's it's, you know, Whoever, you know, like probably like years before we got relegated or a year or two before we got relegated, you know, you'd have considered Charles and Zogbia to be one of those players. The players that aren't really getting a look in, um, but they're, you know, they're still training with the first team squad. It's almost like a Mark Bunn kind of player, but I I, I think Mark Bunn's more of a a, a laugh rather than a, a you know, a, a, a kind of let's let's get the younger kids to to make bad decisions i think he'd rather make them laugh than make them pick up uh, pick up drugs but um i think it's like you know it, gabby could have could have quite easily have been one of those bad eggs and you know the fact that he was pictured with mika richards in dubai doing whatever just you know just a short while after jack was pictured doing that it does make you think you know perhaps Perhaps that's the reason why Jack was doing that. But you know, at the same time, you can't you can't just sit there and blame Gabby or blame anyone else. Really, you know, he was he was young, um, and it's it's not the point because you know he he's he's one of those players. Well, he's not one of those players. He's a footballer. He should be kind of living up to certain standards when he's in the public eye. But you know, he's young. He makes mistakes. Everyone has done it. Um, 
I'm not saying everyone has done drugs, but you, you know what I mean. Everyone has made mistakes. Right, right. Right, yeah, everyone makes mistakes. I, th- I think with Jack, I think, you know, you're young and impressionable. It's your boyhood club. And I think you, you know, there is a, a sense that, I, th- I think this goes for any walk of life, that you can fall in around the, the wrong crowd. You know, people you think are looking out for your best interests aren't. I think you see that a lot more in American sports than, than I have at least seen. You know, in my time, you know, w- watching the beautiful game, I don't think that I've, you know, seen many instances of it. But I, I, I just think that that dressing room, I think, was a mess, you know, around that time. You know, with, with, with Jack and Gabby and Micah and, you know, you just, there were so many moving pieces. And, you know, uh, what was the, uh, was it a, a League Cup game? And was Micah Richards yep, getting into an argument Against with Wickham. Like on, that was what, yeah, it was Wickham. Yeah, and he, and it, like, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Like, be a professional. Get off the pitch. Yeah, you played like shit. Okay, you played like shit. Get off the pitch. You know, there's no reason for, for that. And it was like, watching that, it was almost surreal. It was almost like watching a sitcom almost with some of the things that were going on. And I just, I don't think Aston Villa was a good place for a number of years. Yeah. And I, I, I do have a feeling that maybe the why, you know, it was turning in, you know, on the pitch, you know, you weren't getting results. You know, there's things wrong with ownership. But I just think that breeds, you know, that can breed throughout a coaching staff, a locker room, players, players' families, players' kids. Yeah, that, that can that's a quick plague. I, I can that can absolutely you know demoralize an organization. You know, especially one like Aston Villa, how we were back then. Yeah, and I think like that point you just made is exactly why we started off this season so poorly. Um, you know, Bruce Bruce came out and did a, a, a such an odd interview with Sky Sports saying, you know, we're going to have to sell Jack, we're going to have to sell Chester, we're going to have to do this, we're going to have to do that, um, and obviously sent Villa Twitter into meltdown. Um, but, you know, a few results didn't go our way. And then, you know, it was almost like there was a contempt growing for the management or just for, you know, for the situation that we were in. And obviously Dean Smith comes in. But I feel, I feel like under Smith, there, there's a real camaraderie again. They're probably akin to the camaraderie that was we had under Bruce uh, towards the end of last year with, with Snoddy and Twanzebe. Um, and grabbing, and you know, if someone scored, the whole team would be there celebrating. But um, the question I, I, I want to ask, because we are comparing Gabby and Jack, um, Gabby is he an Aston Villa icon or legend? For my money, I would say he's a legend. I would not put him on the pedestal of icon. And the only there, there's a there's a couple good reasons. I guess the main reason is. Just how he acted the last few years of his career, you know, it wasn't. You never, maybe, maybe Gabby wasn't always the most rah rah guy in the room. He wasn't gonna, you know, jump up and you know, be very passionate about things or be like, "Come on, boys, let's go" or anything like that. But he, he should have. I'll go to my grave saying he should have. You know, like let's, you know, get get a little bit of passion. You, you know, you're the longest tenured member on that squad, I believe. You know, at the time, and it just seemed like it, he became emotionless. Yeah, it almost seemed like he was just there to pick up a paycheck, maybe make the bench, show up overweight, at least seemingly overweight, um, compared to what he was. And I, I just, I don't, I'd call him a legend. I'm no problem calling him a legend. I own four or five of horse shirts. Love the guy. You know, he's one of my favorite Aston Villa players when I first started watching. But I, I can't put him up there as an icon. It's just not for me. I think if he'd have ended his career the way he started it, he he would definitely be an icon. I mean, like, if you look at 
obviously, I think you've got to consider him a legend just simply because he's our all-time top scorer. Um, right, right. Which is pretty poor when you consider he scored like seventy-five Premier League goals. Uh, yeah, it's shocking. I, 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 I thought it was more. I, I'm not, not even gonna try and wiggle my way out of that one. I thought it was a lot more goals. From but um, you know, the first, first five seasons at Villa, he managed one goal in his first season. He only played nine games. Then he went nine, eleven, eleven, thirteen. And you know those are the kind of heights you want your winger slash forward to be hitting. And then after that, he just started declining a bit. He hit three, then five, then nine, then four, um, then six. And then in the season we got relegated, he hit one. The season, uh, first season in the championship, he hit one. And then last season he hit one, which was on the opening day against Hull. And you know it was one of those things. I I was sitting there saying. Gabriel Wonghoor is going to absolutely tear the championship apart. And it just didn't happen. Whereas, with, an, with another question that I'm going to pose to you, you know, you've, you've got to obviously take into account that he's still got probably 10 years of his career left. But would you consider Jack a Villa icon or a Villa icon in the making? In the making, um, we got to be honest, he hasn't played much football in the past calendar year. Um, in, terms, in terms of just, you know, being able to play a full season, I mean, that's going to be a big deal. You know, that we're coming up for the time where that's going to be something very important for his longevity. You know, if, if we're going to depend upon him on the levels that we've seen over the past three games, he needs to stay healthy. And it's, you know, I'm not saying he's going to, you know, become an Iron Man of sorts. He's going to pull James Milner. He's going to play all these crazy consecutive games. I don't think he's the type of player that'll do that. I do think that that's something that needs to be very, uh, I guess the word for it would be just just overly careful. You know, he's going to get hacked down. He's going to he's going to get slashed. But I do think it's still in the making because you never really know what's going to happen with Jack Grealish. Mm, yeah, I agree. I mean, like if we take it at face value, say if tomorrow was his last game. Well, not tomorrow. Let's say Saturday because obviously there's not a game tomorrow. But you know, let's say his next game was his last game. Would you say he's an icon then? No. Okay. No, just just flat out no. I mean, he he's got to stay, and I think he will. I mean, that's a whole different conversation. But I I, I don't think anyone's going to come in with a bid on on a player that's played the amount of games he has in the last two and a half seasons. If I, I just don't. I if just, I change the word in, would you say he's already made himself a legend? I'd say he already made himself a legend. I think I think he did that when he started showing it after the kidney injury last year. I think when he came back and he, he more or less showed through his physique and some of the interviews he'd done at the time, you can tell that he really knew what was at stake. And then, you know, you get the, what was it, 13, 14 unbeaten run we had there toward the, uh, toward the middle of the season. And it, it just, it, it, was, it was a magical run. But, you know, it was one of those things where now he's. He, I, I just feel, for me personally, for my money, for my thought and love of, uh, of Aston Villa as a football club, he still had. He still has something to prove to me. Okay, and probably, probably the final question. Let's say he stays. Um, you know, uh, Gabby. Gabby played over three hundred and forty games for us uh, in the in the Premier League alone. I think it's near enough four hundred overall. Um, if Jack stays for the entirety of his career. Regardless of you know whether he he's scoring ten goals a season or one, 
if he if he finishes his career with the Villa, or you know, let's say he stays till he's thirty and goes off to to China or goes off to finish his career for like Watford or something, would you give him a statue? Uh, it really, for me, it would depend what he would win. You know, depend what he would be a part so, of. Let's say, let's um, say he gets us promoted within the next two years, and then you know, let's say we win an FA Cup. Uh, I guess if you're if you're in terms of an FA Cup and a promotion, probably. I, I mean, I, I think they're, he's all if he stays at Villa, no matter what, people are going to clamor for a statue regardless. It doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter if we're in the championship by the time he's thirty three and he hangs it up at thirty three. People are going to want a statue. Yeah. Hopefully that's not the case. But I think, you know, local lad, signed very very early in life. You, know, you see how much it means to him, his family. You see how much it means to the supporters. You see how much it, it means to the team in general. Yeah. He is a legend, but, like, just to, you know, getting us up would be massive. It, it, if he would do it on his back, you know, that, that would be great. I think a statue, like, again, this is all situational. Of He stays at Aston Villa the rest of his career. I do think he gets a statue. But, oh, man, how great would it be to win an FA Cup? <laughs> yeah. But I, I, the, the thing the thing for me is I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a, a player take over a, a fan base so much. Um, obviously, you've got the likes of like Ronaldo or Messi or Neymar. But, you know, this, this is a championship club. Um, you know, you can't you can't put Grealish on the same level as, you know, such a such a huge worldwide icon as like Neymar or Ronaldo. But I, I, Jack has such a hold of the club. Like you've got forty-year-old men sporting a Jack Grealish haircut. You've got twelve-year-old sporting a Jack Grealish haircut. I mean, the four-year-olds are less likely because they're probably receding a little bit. But like <laughs> you know, you know, and you've got so many people with you know Grealish on the back of their shirt, and I, I, I don't know whether that's just because he's such a likable lad or just because he's he's so like proficient on a football pitch, but. It, you, you you have definitely got to call him a legend because he's literally got a, like he's got the, he's got the crowd in a voice grip whenever he's on the ball. He's got a crowd in a voice grip whatever he does or says. Like it, it was such a good idea to make him a captain. I think. Yeah, Dean Smith definitely got that one right, and uh, I I think it, it's a little bit of a mixture of everything you just mentioned. I, I think it's the he's one of our own, and it's it's a phrase that gets thrown around. You know, you hear lots of other supporters from lots of other football clubs, you know, say it, and, but he, he really is, though. He really is one of our own. You know, there's there's enough pictures floating about. You can see Jack, you know, as a young lad on the sidelines and the old, you know, villa apparel on and things, things of that nature. I, I think that the reason he has such a stranglehold on Aston Villa as a football club and their supporters is because every single person that's in Villa Park watching him, they feel personally connected to him. They might not have even seen the guy outside of a football pitch, but it, it's the emotional attachment of that. That that's a piece of me. I think they. It, I think it actually gets to that kind of spiritual emotional level where they feel the oneness with Jack Grealish. Because by all you know, by all opinions, at the moment it seems that Aston Villa is Jack Grealish. So, you know, and, and you're right. You can, you can hear it in the crowd whenever he's on the ball. You actually can hear people, like, you can hear mouths being open, if that makes yeah. sense. Everyone's waiting for him to do something. Everyone's waiting for a run. Everyone watches him, you know, as, as he's doing his thing around around the pitch. And I, I just think it's a mixture of, of why. And, you know, it was a great point. You know, you have 12-year-olds with a Jack Grealish haircut. You have 45-year-olds with a Jack Grealish haircut. And I, I think that that's how deeply 
invested emotionally Aston Villa supporters are to Jack Grealish. Yeah, and I think that is the, probably the perfect way to end this podcast. Um, if you've enjoyed it, guys, please let us know. Uh, follow us on our socials. We're Facebook, Under a Gaslit Lamp. We're Villa Lamp on Twitter, Under a Gaslit Lamp on Instagram. Uh, let us know if you did enjoy it. If you've got any questions, send them our way. And uh, thank you for listening. Hi guys, if you enjoyed our first podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you could nominate us in the Football Blogging Awards 2019. You can do this by going to footballbloggingawards.co.uk forward slash vote dash now and put under a gaslit lamp under the heading best new content creator. That, or you can go to our website at underagaslitlamp.com and click the little thumbnail on the right hand side of the screen.